guys. How you doing today? He thinks Mark should play more. He's here, right? I heard free bird. 14 minutes later, right? Um, hey, good to see you guys. You know, those of you who've been with us at FOF for a while, you're going to recognize this. Those of you who are newer with us, I want to show you something, and it's a phone number. 815-314-0363. We've gotten into this groove at FOF over the past several years of having a, a sermon series once a year called Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. Here's how it would work. You'd pull out your phone, you'd text a question in, anything, God, life, theology, the Bible, church, and I would do my best to answer them on the spot. Mark and I and some of the staff have been talking about this, and um, it's always been incredible as an experience for me to see the things that you're thinking, the things that you're asking, how you're receiving what's being talked about and prayed about and sung about, and, and, and how God is kind of churning that in your life. Because I've always believed that this, what we're doing right here, is better as a dialogue than as a monologue. You with me? Now, what we're going to do is a variation of that questions thing. We're going to be inviting you just about every Sunday to text in any questions you have, but a little bit more specified. Questions that are coming up as a result of the day's topic at hand. To text them in, and what I'm going to do is through the week, I'm going to compile those questions, and I'm going to open the dialogue bringing them back the next week, trying to speak into the things that you're asking, talking about, thinking about, and wondering about. Are you with me? Does this make sense? So anytime through today, feel free to text them in. You'll see a number at the top little corner of the screen. And uh, rock on. Let's jump in, okay? Today, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to help you see a relationship with God differently. I think... There is a certain way that most people who call themselves Christians portray what a relationship with God looks like and how to begin one. And though true, ironically, I have found it to be very different in nuance from what the Bible has to say. And so what I want to do today is take you through the Bible through the eyes of this apostle named Paul. And hopefully, by helping you see how he sees this thing called a relationship with God, help you see what a relationship with God, salvation, and the hope that Jesus offers is all about in a different sort of way. Stick with me, and by the end, I think it'll start to turn on. Now, all of this is going to be rooted in a phrase that I want you to learn. Here it is. In Christ. I mean, off the bat, you know, it's like, it's like just so kind of whatever, blasé, innocuous on the surface. But I'm telling you that, that, that like for Paul, and therefore in like half of the New Testament, this phrase, in Christ, is like a pivot point. It is like a a springboard into a world that goes so much deeper than I think we give credit for and helps us see God in a new way. So here's what I need to do. 
What I want to do is take you this morning through the story of the Bible. You can't actually learn it in about 15 minutes. I want to take you through the story of the Bible and then show you how it all comes crashing to a head about how God seeks to be with you in a new way in Christ. You with me? Lost you already? With me? Good. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Text in yes. Um, So, how do we begin? In the beginning, it says that God created everything. This earth and this world and all that lives within it. He created uh, the sun and the moon and the stars and the universe and all that, that exists within it. And God looks at his creation and he loves it. And he says, it is very good. But see, here's the thing. Creation is kind of a big operation to run, you know? I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm drowning just trying to manage my own family at times. But God has a creation to run. And what he does in the beginning is he creates something at the pinnacle of his creation called humanity. According to Genesis 1, it's the sixth day. And after God has created everything, he says, let us now make man in our image. And so in the image of God, he created them. It says in male and female form, he created this thing called man, this thing called humanity. And God comes to them and he says something that I think is often overlooked. He says, fill the earth and subdue it. Spread out, fill this earth, subdue it, rule it. Have dominion over it, as some translations will put it. He'll say things like, rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the beasts that walk on the ground. Here is my creation, humanity, and I want you to run it in my stead. It's like God looks at you and at me and he says, like, be my governor, my, my vice regent, if we can get all kind of like 19th century UK imperialism. You know what I mean? Run the sucker. Here it is. Rule this. Did you know that you're a king? Did you know that you're a queen? Did you know that God looks at each of you and gives you the calling and the mandate to rule under his authority? Does that not just like give you hives when you think about some of the people in this world? But God's a high-risk God, and he makes this thing. And he not only entrusts it to me and you, he says, rule. And we blew it. And just look at the world, right? Does this seem like a well-run operation to you? In the beginning, humanity failed. We fail. Don't we? Humanity failed in in, in, in exercising that rule well and properly and bringing God's rule and goodness and justice about. And so we live in this world filled with pain and suffering and injustice and evil because we have not lived up to our mandate that was there in the beginning to rule as God would rule under his authority. And this right here is where it all begins. Now, God doesn't give up. The story continues through the first several chapters of the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 12, God comes along and God regroups. 
What God does is he says, okay, this didn't work through humanity, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to regroup. I'm going to take a subsection of humanity, a portion of humanity, and he chooses a man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, through you, I am going to bless this world. Through you and your descendants, your descendant Isaac and his descendant Jacob, who was later called Israel and all their descendants to come from them, he says, be my kingdom of priests. Rule as I've called humanity to rule. Bring my goodness and justice and mercy and presence into this world so that all that I have called good can be good again. You know what happens? They fail. Just like humanity, Israel fails. Like immediately. But God doesn't give up. God is not a God who gives up. God has never been a God that has looked at all that is wrong in this world and goes, oh, you win. And so God, in the story of the Old Testament, regroups again. He said, okay, if I started with humanity, and that didn't work, and I funneled it down to Israel, and that didn't work, what if I take a subsection of Israel, a, a representation of Israel, and try to establish my rule through them? And so what God begins to do is he begins to choose priests and, and kings. And in Hebrew, these priests and kings are called messiahs, or in Greek, you would call them Christs which basically means anointed ones, ones who are set apart for a special purpose within Israel, within humanity, ones set apart to bring God's goodness and justice and reign so that this creation that he loves will be very good again. And you know what happens? Yeah, <laughs> they fail. They fail miserably. They they, they prove themselves to be more concerned with their own glory rather than God's. They, they prove themselves to be bent on evil instead of good. They, they prove themselves to be bent on their own agenda rather than God's agenda, or they prove themselves to just be weak and impotent and far short of the glory and reign that God's rule was always supposed to be about. And it's in the midst of this that you start to read the Old Testament prophets. And what they do is they start looking forward to this time when God will just kind of say, you know what, I tried humanity, I tried Israel, I tried the priests and kings, you know what, I'm just going to do it myself. They start looking forward to this day when God would come personally and somehow in some kind of way to establish his reign, to bring about his goodness and make this creation that he so dearly loves very good again. And it is this storyline that I have just given you that is what the entire Old Testament and trajectory of the Bible is about. Are you with me? Now, the Old Testament prophets had a word for this, this day that I'm talking about. You know what the word is? The day. All right? Specifically, the day of Yahweh. They would talk about this as the day of Yahweh, or as your translations might put it, the day of the Lord. 
the day or that day when God would come back and he'd clean up this mess and he'd restore it to what it's supposed to be. He'd establish his presence, his reign, his rule, and it would be as God always intended for it to be again. Now this day, this day of the Lord, is what Jesus and the New Testament writers, including Paul, call the kingdom, or the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. It's like Jesus, you might remember this, he comes on the scene. What is Jesus' entire ministry summed up in if you read the Gospels? His teaching is this, he's going throughout Israel and he's proclaiming something. And it can be all boiled down to this. He goes, repent, which is just a fancy way of saying, turn, come back. Because the kingdom of God is near. I like how some people write about this. They say it's like Jesus is going, come back because the kingdom of God is upon you, baby. It is here. It is burning. It is humming. It is breaking in. There is no time to lose. And if you hesitate, it might just pass you by. So turn, because the kingdom of God is near. And what the entire New Testament is about is the idea that in Jesus, this kingdom, this long-awaited kingdom that God had been involved in trying to bring about has finally come. Now, let's review the list. God starts with humanity. God then goes to Israel. He then goes to priests and kings. And what did we see in each? It fails. But notice that God never replaces the former with the latter. Instead, the, the latter is a representation of the former. Are you following me? So, for example, he doesn't go to humanity and go, humanity, you rule, humanity, you fail. And so he starts making like these ETs to rule in humanity's stead, right? No, he honors his promise and is called a humanity. He just regroups it in a new way. So that as you look at humanity to Israel, to priests and kings, you see this constant boiling down this funneling down where humanity is reduced to Israel in a sense, that Israel resents humanity in themselves. And that goes to priests and kings who represent it all, that for Paul becomes so important in this phrase, in Christ. Because for Paul, in Christ is what the kingdom is all about. We've already seen, if you've been with us the last few weeks, that this thing we call the gospel, in Paul's mind, was like a royal decree. It was like a proclamation, like heralds going out for a king. And the proclamation was that King Jesus has triumphed. Now, if you have a king, it implies a kingdom. And Jesus comes saying, the kingdom of God is near. But then what Paul does is he says, in Christ, the day of Yahweh is here. Look how he puts it in this one place. It's near the end of his life that Paul writes from this prison. And he writes to this church and these people that he's come to just, you know, 
that he's fallen in love with. And he's separated. Maybe never to see them face to face again. And he writes this letter to them from jail. And he says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. Let me put it my way. You're always on my mind. When I think of you, it fills me with joy. You have been such a help and encouragement to me. And you've been that way from the beginning. And I'm confident of this. What God has been doing in you isn't over yet. What he started in you, he is going to bring to completion. God has something amazing in store for you, and he will carry it to completion when? In the day of Yahweh? In the day of Jesus Christ, which should tell you something about how Paul saw Jesus, who Paul thinks Jesus is. Because the prophets were looking forward to a day, that day when Yahweh would return. And how does Paul now talk about it? As the day of Jesus. And this explodes in his writings. If you were to search through the Old Testament prophets to see what that day, that kingdom would be about, let me just show you this list that I kind of put together. Um, it isn't exhaustive, but it'll give you a taste. What'll happen when God comes to establish his reign? Well, God will be there himself. No longer absentee. Forgiveness is going to be poured out because his kingdom is about mercy and grace. His spirit is going to be poured out upon people and it will be established. David's kingdom, those messiahs, and that messiah will reign and it'll be open to all people. You who are German, you who are Czech, you who are Irish, you who are English, you who are African, you who are Chinese, all you who aren't Jews and aren't Israel. God says, you too. And it tells you you'll be changed. What's he tell the Philippians? God's up to something in you. Because in that day, God's people will be changed, transformed, and the earth, the land, the creation will be yours to rule in my stead again. Those prophets, they talk about how creation itself will respond to this. Isaiah writes how the deserts will bloom and the wild animals will live together and, and streams will bubble up like creation itself will just respond in the presence of God and his reign. That, that's so much so the dead and all that is wrong will be reversed and they'll be raised. Talks about how shalom will pervade a Hebrew word that means peace, but so much more than peace, abundance wholeness, goodness. Kind of a word that just represents all of what God's blessings bring. A day when evil will reign no more. When it will finally be called for what it is and overthrown. And the prophets yearned for this day. And the central message of Paul is that all of this 
can be found today, right now, in Christ. Look at this in his writings. God will dwell with his people, right? What does he say about Jesus? God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Who is Jesus? It is God himself here with us again today. What will happen in that day? God's people will be changed. What does Paul say? If anyone is where? Read the yellow with me. In Christ. Transformed. Changed. A new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. What will happen in that day? Gentiles will be welcomed into God's people. What does Paul write? Remember you who are Gentiles by birth, uncircumcised? You were separate from Christ. You were excluded from Israel. Foreigners to the covenant and the promise. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away are brought near. What will happen in that day? Shalom will pervade. What does Paul have to say? Christ himself is our peace. What did the prophets say would happen in that day? Forgiveness of sins. And what does Paul say? Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul's message, the New Testament message, is that in Christ, the kingdom is here. And did you notice in them all? In Christ. It's like Paul's saying, you can look around this world and it doesn't seem like the day is fully here. Does it? But Christ is here. And in Christ, the beginning of this movement is found. It's like Paul is saying, no, the day is broken in, but we're still waiting. But that doesn't mean the kingdom isn't here because it has started to break in. You want to find it? Where do you go? Paul would say this, in Christ, that's where it's found. Can I just ask you, do you want to experience God's blessings? Paul tells you where you can find them. Do you want to be a part of this kingdom? Do you hear this story? Does it grab you? Paul tells you where it can be found. It's like Paul is saying, in Christ, we see all that God is looking to bring about embodied in one man. A Messiah. A representative of Israel. A representative of humanity who has come to bring God's rule and reign. And to get it, come to be in him. Because for Paul, it's nowhere else. It's in Christ. You want it, it's in him. And it's weird. He'll write about this. He'll talk about how there's this weird, strange transference that takes place when we're in him. Let me show you one verse. Paul writes this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So God made Jesus who, who had no sin, and when we come to him, 
It's like what we bring is taken by him. What we bring is transferred to him so that where in him, everything that's true of him is transferred to us. Because for Paul, when someone is in Christ, everything that is true of Jesus becomes true of them. When you are in Jesus, everything that is reality for Jesus becomes reality for you. It's like, think of it this way. Like there's some multi-trillionaire with the biggest bank account ever imaginable. And when you're in him, he gives you the debit card. It's like you find yourself in a place where you don't belong. And the owner comes up and says, he's with me. Here's my ID. It's like Jesus is an Olympic athlete, and every time he works out, it burns off your calories. Right? Suddenly people are excited about this, you know? <laughs> Salvation, hmm, yes. Burn calories. Oh. Everything that is true about him becomes true of you. You know what it's like? It's like cosmic identity theft. That when you are in Jesus, he says, here's my passport. Here's my social security. Here's my birth date. Here's my retinal scan, my fingerprint. Here is my ID when God looks at you, and if you are in him, all that has come in the kingdom in him begins to come in you. And Paul's plea, Paul's biggest plea from, from the beginning of his letters to the end is the plea I give you today. Come to Christ. Immerse yourself in him. See, all my life, people told me about the importance of inviting Jesus into my heart. But what about you in him? All my life, people told me about inviting Jesus into my heart as though, though, though what God would do is come into my life, right? God would fit into my life somehow, and in my wang of being, when all the while God is holding out an invitation saying, no, there's something more, there's something greater. In Jesus, in Christ, come be in him because God is big and you are small. Come be in him. God has something going on in this world, a mandate and a purpose and a call, and he invites you to be in it by being in him. Don't hear me wrong. Inviting Jesus into your life is important. And the Bible will speak that way. But 10 to 1, far more often, it invites you in him. And that's my prayer for you today. That's how I hope you see your relationship with God. Not so much figuring out how Jesus fits in here, but how you fit in him. Because it's there that his kingdom is beginning.
It's there where his reign and rule is germinating. In him. So I want to invite you to to rise. Nope, we're going to skip that. (laughs) It's a good video, though. For so much of the New Testament, it begins with repentance and baptism and faith. They're all interrelated concepts for Paul. That's what I want to invite you to start today. Maybe it begins today just by repenting. By confessing your sins to him and submitting your need to him and calling on him in faith. If so, I invite you again today to pray this with me. Most merciful God, We confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. For Paul, the gospel was a proclamation of good news. And hear it today. King Jesus has triumphed. And you are in him. King Jesus has triumphed. You are forgiven. King Jesus has triumphed. You're being changed. King Jesus has triumphed. And because of that, he invites you to partner with him today. As governors in his kingdom, Rulers under his authority, bringing his presence and goodness to every pocket of this creation in his name. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup after that supper. And he gave it to them. He shared it with them. And he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant. And it's shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Come, do this in remembrance of me. For those of you who are in Christ, King Jesus says, welcome. Welcome to my table.